0: Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. I'm so excited today because we have a dear friend of mine on the podcast, Dr. Gerald Liu. Dr. Liu has been studying theology for more than 10 years formally. He studied in Germany. He studied at Emory University University. At Vanderbilt University. He has a PhD in theology. He's also a Methodist minister and just a good guy. And I'm just really so excited for you to get to know Gerald and to learn from him. He talks with us today about being an Enneagram type one. And like lots of ones, he's a very embodied guy. He's done triathlons, marathons, Ironmans, yoga, And he talks with us about all of that. We also talk about the nine faces of God and how each of the nine types represents a part of who God is. But the goal is for us to become more like all nine types um, and to embody that wholeness of God. So we'll also be talking a little bit about theology on the podcast. And I do want to say. a part of the Enneagram is spirituality. Um, We don't all always talk about that, but there are the deadly sins for each number, which represents the shadow side for each number and how we need to move towards the virtue um, of each number instead of living in the sin that each number is prone to, but we also talk about these nine faces of God and how each one of the types does represent the best of who God is. And again, we all need to move towards being all of those nine pieces of who God is, that that is what it means to continue to, to grow and, and seek transformation. So I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation about spirituality and theology today, and thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. All right, so we are recording. So welcome, Gerald, to the Enneagram Plus Yoga podcast. I just want to say that one thing that makes this really different for me is that this is the interview that we've done with a friend that I've had for the longest in my life. Gerald and I have been friends for 24 years. Is that right, Gerald? <laughs>
1: kind of crazy. Quarter, almost whether a quarter he, of a century.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <So> whether <laughs> you like it or not, he can't get rid of me. And he's been a very, very good friend. And we're so glad to have him here. We're going to be talking about the nine different faces of God. So we're talking a little bit about spirituality and theology, and Gerald is the perfect person for that. Uh, He has the PhD in theology. We actually met in theology school when we were graduate students at Emory, and if there's anybody who I really respect when it comes to theology, it's Gerald. So he has an undergraduate degree from Washington University. He did his graduate theological studies uh, at Emory Candler School of Theology and then at Vanderbilt for his PhD. He's been a professor of theology. But more than that, he's a very kind human being. Um, He is one of the most faithful friends that I've ever had. He's that friend that's always there for you in a pickle that you know he's going to answer the phone. And friends like that are hard to come by. So I'm just really grateful that he is my friend, first and foremost, but that he's also here because he's going to have a lot of wisdom to impart. Uh, So welcome, Gerald.
1: Thanks for having me. That was quite the introduction. Clever recording.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I know you love flattery. (laughs) Um, So one of the things I wanted to ask, just because you both have scored as Enneagram 1, so Kat identifies as an Enneagram 1, and Gerald is new to the Enneagram, but he scored really high as an Enneagram 1, and his score was pretty compelling that he probably is an Enneagram 1. And the Enneagram one is the reformer or the perfectionist on the Enneagram. And I wanted to start with kind of a fun question, um, because it might highlight the differences between me as a two and you guys as a one. Have you taken down your Christmas decorations? It's January the 12th. Are yours up or down?
2: Well, I could go first. You know, I'm probably not the fair person to ask about that particular question because growing in Russia, you know, being born in Russia and growing up in Russia, Russians do it a little different. So we put a Christmas tree a couple of days before December 31st, and we're letting it ride all through January and sometimes February because we have. New Year's, then we have Christmas in January, then we celebrate New Year's that we celebrated the year prior to in the middle of January of the current year. It is a really a convoluted kind of a celebratory thing. So usually a Russian person, self-respectful person, will let the Christmas decorations ride all through the end of January. But living in America for 30 years and being married to, you know, an American and having American kids, you know, it's January first. It's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. So I uh, took them down. We sort of split the difference. I took them down last weekend. I was pretty sad and everything was done very methodically and everything was done very organized. Everything went in a particular box, then got labeled and then was, um, was, um, grouped by which room that decoration went to. So it was pretty anal retentive kind of way to take down the Christmas. So long answer to your very simple questions, yes, the decorations have been uh, taken down.
0: I love that. Um, Okay, so I did not know that history about Russians Mm -hmm. keeping up their decorations well into February, so that's a really fun fact. And then I love that you did it like an Enneagram one methodically and you, you know, that is not, ours is chaos. Things are just kind of pushed up in a closet downstairs anywhere and everywhere, but I have not put mine up yet. Um, and I don't know when that's going
2: to happen. I'll <laughs> so go back I, your house. I'll back you up.
0: Oh, man, wouldn't I love to have an Enneagram one helping me pack up. But uh, thank you for that offer. What about you, Gerald? Are your Christmas decorations up or down?
1: They have mostly come down, but I I should say this is the first time my partner and I have had Christmas, bona fide Christmas decorations, because we were in New York previously in tiny apartments and there wasn't much space to do any decorating. Uh, So just... Purchased a home in October and was able to put up garland and have a proper, you know, seven foot tree and and this type of thing. But we had neighbors over for New Year's Eve. And right after that, I took down all the lights outside and we took down all the garland and everything, all the nativity sets and everything like that. But the tree stayed up with lights forever because my partner wanted it that way. But those lights have come off. We've left the tree up. And I've been slowly cutting away at its limbs, and we'll kind of deconstruct the whole thing to use as kindling in the fireplace. We have three fireplaces, so I don't know if you know, but pine burns very quickly uh, when it's dry. So we're we're kind of repurposing the tree for that. So it's still up for now, but it's looking bare and bare every day.
0: Okay, all right. Still sounds sounds like you were on top of it, taking down most of the decorations right after. new year so um those are your enneagram ones they are going to be more intentional about being organized and being methodical so i wanted to ask you um scoring as an enneagram one gerald the ones are motivated by the need to do the right thing they're driven by a longing for a true just and moral world does this description of the type one feel like it describes you in any ways? Uh,
1: Well, I don't want to overstate, so I, I'll kind of approach it a different way. In, in my yeah. line of work, theology, the way that I've approached it and how I feel like most folks ought to and, and hopefully do is it's kind of born out of a sense of calling. So you're trying to tap into something outside of yourself and even beyond uh, collective humanity. You know, you're you're reaching for this invisible God or trying to listen uh, for something that we can't really perceive. And as a result, you know, if you choose to, to follow that sense of call, then I think it comes with sacrifice. You know, it's not just about your own flourishing, but it means making difficult decisions that you wouldn't otherwise make so that you can love your neighbor as yourself and uh, love others as, as God loves us. So I, I wouldn't, for me, I wouldn't use the words moral, just, and good because I think those are contingent ideas what's moral to someone may not may be immoral to someone else what we consider good um, Mm -hmm. may be very bad or terrible and I think even you know justice is up for grabs to today and and there's obviously fanatics for God so so it's even complicated when we talk about uh following God that that can lead to uh delusions so but but yeah I think in my own professional life and certainly in my own personal life, I've uh, tried to choose what I thought was a pure path. um, Mm -hmm. And and it has been rocky terrain often.
0: Yeah. And you're a United Methodist minister. So I wanted to say that as well, but I definitely do see in you somebody who has always pursued justice. You know, Gandhi is often attributed in the world of the Enneagram as an Enneagram one. And, um, you know, the words be the change you want to see in the world are often attributed to Gandhi. And whether he said it exactly like that or not, that is like how he lived his life. And I think I see that in you. So I just want to say like, I do see why you scored high as a one You are a person um, who has strong values, strong ethics, um, a sense of right and wrong, and wanting to make the world a better place, uh, much like Gandhi did. Um, I know you may not want to be compared to Gandhi, but um, I do see those gifts in you of like, I'm going to be very purposeful to be a living embodiment of Of God and goodness in the world, and so I want to say I see that in you as your friend. Um, But but I hear you when it comes to to justice and and goodness. Um, We have to be careful with that.
1: You can start calling me Gandhi if
0: you want to. I'll start calling you Gandhi. there. (laughs) There you go, Kat said Gandhi Jr. So sometimes when we're looking for a partner, we end up picking somebody who's a lot like us, and sometimes there's an opposites attract sort of thing that we might look for somebody who's restoring the image of God in us, who's helping us to develop what might be underdeveloped in us. And I say this because I want to stick with the Enneagram and talk about the fact that you took the Enneagram Institute professional test and you scored highest as a one and then lowest as a nine. Um, and not to say that I don't see a peacemaking energy in you because you certainly have that. Um, and yet it was your lowest number, but your girlfriend is a nine. And so the number that was lowest for you, you ended up finding, that person. And so what I wanted to ask is do you think there's something to that uh gravitating towards somebody who maybe has what you need? I don't know if that's a good way to put it or not. Uh but what are your thoughts on that, Gerald?
1: I well, I, I don't know if I consciously was attracted to Sierra because of her peacemaking <laughs> abilities um if uh, if memory serves me cur- i mean i think we hit it off pretty quickly but she was also you know uh careful for for good reasons and, and things like that um you, you know it would seem strange i think for someone in theology to have their lowest score being peacemaking but i i was thinking about this um uh, because We often romanticize who Jesus of Nazareth was or how he's presented in the Gospels. And when we look at Matthew 10, a verse like 34, he's sending his disciples out to um, bear witness to the good news for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he says, "I, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And these are very curious words from Jesus we wouldn't think he would say something like this. I, I did not come to be bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And the, the type of uh, slicing he's talking about is really drawing a divide between are you going to follow him or are you going to choose yourself? Uh, and, and it goes back to what I was talking about in terms of the idea of calling. This this does mean you know, going down a path Uh, that that maybe isn't going to serve you first. And it it may involve compromise even with your family. Even Jesus says as much, you know, uh, anyone who doesn't hate father and mother does not love me or something like this. I'm paraphrasing terribly, but these these are extreme things that are documented um, in the New Testament. I think what the authors are trying to get at is it's an extreme thing. To to follow God, we we want to make it um, something like a Hallmark card. You you know, here we are coming out of the holiday season into the new year. We we want it to look like something you're going to watch on A and E, but it it really isn't like that. Um, And religion doesn't function like this in general. When we look at uh, Gaza and then Israel, for example, so it's extremely complex. And I won't go down that road, but I I just want to bring it back to the difference between one and nine. Um, I I think a risk with maybe self-identifying as a one is you become sanctimonious and self-righteous. But uh, to me, it it also isn't uh, unusual that maybe someone in my line of work or in ministry would would score low as a nine because I, I do think trying to do the right thing, so to speak, especially in the name of God, does mean um, not always making peace, you know, disrupting things.
0: Yeah, and I would, yeah, I would also say that, you know, even though Jesus did say, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword, he also said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And this is the, Interesting thing about the Enneagram is that all nine types are good, right? And so you've got the Enneagram eight and the Enneagram one that are justice seekers. And because of that, they're willing to engage in conflict for the sake of justice. And you've got the nines who are more easygoing and who are living into, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. And we we need both in the world. And I think that one of the things that is hard for people who read the Bible literally, is they can't allow for that non-dualistic thinking that both are true, that we need justice. And that justice is going to mean sometimes that there is conflict, but that we also need the peace and um, that peace within and that peace in the world. Uh, what are your thoughts on
1: that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you know, if opposites attract, going back to your question related to me and Sierra, maybe it's sort of a paradox where your highest in one and your lowest and the other come come back around and and meet somehow or or in the relationships that you have. Um, I was also thinking that. The imagery of light is often used in Christianity. You know, Jesus is asking his followers to be the light of the world. And you got to have a spark to get a flame going. That requires friction. You know, so, so I, I think, um, yeah, these things are definitely related.
2: You know, speaking of peace and right and wrong, I'm just gonna share a little a little something that I've dealt with this week. So I had a conflict that I had to deal with this week, and I'm not a huge fan of, but I can do it if I have to. And the conflict didn't really get resolved. So my husband, who is a seven enthusiast, fun loving, joyful, just amazing individual, said, Kat, are you um are you feeling good about it because you got like because you feel you're right and i said um no i'm actually sad about it i'm disappointed about it but i'm at peace with it because i feel i'm right <laughs> whether it's right or wrong and self-right yeah i mean but i think that's that... you know to me and he's like you're one through and through <laughs> amen exactly <laughs> but uh listen i'm excited to ask the next next question because um as I mentioned before, and I don't talk a lot about about it on this podcast, but I was born and raised in Russia, which I do talk about it, but I was born and raised during um, the the time of atheism. Um, So Soviet Union religion was actually um, political ideology, you would say, and even though Later on I was baptized in Russian Orthodox and that's the prevalent religion in in Russia now and back before uh, the Soviets took over. Um, Huge part of me is atheism. You know, my my parents were atheists. Um, I grew up in family of scientists. Science was the religion. So I love, but I'm fascinated by Christianity and theology and 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 all of that so I know that you do have a PhD as Christy mentioned theology from Vanderbilt I know that you have studied theology for 10 years of your life am I am I correct on that
1: that's can right it's all the truth
2: can you talk a little bit about that what is it about theology that has that has drawn you to it and kept you in it and not kept you in it but kept you studying it for that i mean 10 years is nothing to just at. that so can you talk a little bit on that yeah yeah I, yeah
1: i mean that duration is is no joke i i think um again for me so, so a personal anecdote when i went to college i went to study business I thought I was going to be like a banker if I couldn't be a rock star or you know try to be both at the same time or something um and anyway ended up finishing music composition for classical guitar and was playing music for campus ministries of praise praise music which is not really my my cup of tea I was just kind of doing it as a favor and a buddy of mine went to seminary and then encouraged me to think about it and I uh, that sort of set me down the path of theological education because I was offered a scholarship that was better than starving as an artist. But when that happened, and ever since then, so this would have been 2000, um, it was, I I, I don't like to associate the calling of God with serendipity, you know, like getting a scholarship or something like this, um, or with windfall, I should say. But, but it was the clearest moment of feeling led. And I I think I just want to keep coming back to this as kind of a through line for my own sense of vocation is that the reason why I did all this is not out of personal ambition, but because I felt led to it. I mean, if it were up to me, you know, I'd be driving a Lamborghini and living in a penthouse in the West Village in New York or something. I, I, would, I would be... Uh, you know, cho- choosing to help a mainline tradition that's going through a huge schism. But uh I I do it because I don't know. I I had the sense this is what God wants me to do. And um it's not even always affirming. It, you know, I've uh I was a professor, I lost a tenure vote, I, I was a kind of National officer for the denomination, I got fired from that job. So it, it hasn't come without cost um, and. and Or, or uh, disagreements or disruption, major life changing events, you, you know. But, um, but I've kept at it because. Uh, I. I think I've tried to stay anchored in something deeper, Um than what I can see, and and what I've experienced, and and so that that's why I've done it. In other words, you, you know, you had mentioned you're an atheist, and or or you have atheistic tendencies, and but you're fascinated by Christianity and, and Orthodoxy, and so on and so forth. And, I mean, I think even in the Orthodox tradition, you, you know, um, Orthodox Christians would would talk about how we're kind of absolutely dependent upon God. Or, or even if we think about atheism, it, it is still a kind of faith, you know, you know you're, you're still believing in seeing reality a certain way, um, you, you know, questioning things in a, in a certain direction. And I would just say that this idea of dependence upon God isn't something that we only choose, like I'm choosing to believe in something outside of myself. It, it is also God believing in us. Uh, and, and so in that respect, I, I don't think I could have kept going the way that I have if I were just drawing from my own strength, so to speak. Um, there, there's some kind of, or not some kind of, yeah, yeah you know, the spirit of God is um, making it possible for me to endure, continue.
2: Fascinating to me. I could talk to you all day about that. I'm sure you have people like that all the time. But thank you for that.
0: One of the things about Gerald is that um, he's not just a theologian. He's, you know, a very complex person like all of us. But he is a musician. He plays classical guitar and uh, plays it beautifully. And he also is an athlete. He has played soccer. He's competed in Ironmans. Um, He loves yoga he also has done marathons and he loves movement which is typical of anybody in the body triad especially the types eight and one tend to be very connected to movement we even call it the body triad sometimes the eight nine and the one and so i would love for you to tell me a little bit about when you first remember Uh, Just feeling like, oh, it feels really good to engage in my body, to be embodied. And uh, why do you think it's healthy for people to, you know, have maybe these New Year's resolutions where they come back to their body?
1: Yeah, I let me first say, you know, I I want to acknowledge we we have different types of bodies and and different abilities. Some of us. Are able to move in, in ways that others of us, uh, could never be able to. And for myself, I, in terms of exercise or, you you know, when I was doing triathlons or something, what I would describe as training, I, I just enjoy it. You, You know, I don't look at it. I don't think of it as a new year's resolution or some, some sort of, um, requirement or objective that I, that I have to do. I, I mean, I'm, I become compulsive about it. So I'm, I'm, you know, not always excited to wake up and go to the gym or something like this, but I force myself. So so I'm, I'm like everybody else else in that regard, but I think maybe um, what, What I do have that I don't think is uniform, you know, across all of humanity is that I tend to like um, moving and also moving ways that are extremely strenuous. You know, I I enjoy that. So it makes it easier to to try to do that. Um, I don't want to oversimplify, but for for those of us that are able bodied, you know we we have limbs and um m- muscles and uh joints and, bu- and bones and we were kind of made to move you know so i think it makes sense uh not only to do that in a functional way but to to find ways to celebrate that um, whether it's through sports related activities or through the arts like dance or um even spending time with our families or loved ones or, or friends play, you know, it doesn't have to have any kind of purpose to it, but, but I don't think when you're looking at a, a human body that it it's meant to just kind of be doing what we're doing now, sitting in a chair, looking at a screen um, all day. So yeah, that's kind of how I get into movement, but, but also I really like, um, challenging movements, you know, try, trying to run a, a marathon or do, do an Ironman or something like this. It's, I don't know, something about what that feels like um, is something I like, so, so it makes it easier.
2: I love when you talk about about enjoying to move and just having it as something that we are built for. So again, complete tangent, but currently in Chattanooga, there's an event happening, it's a film festival and Chattanooga is a lovely town and we have tons of things that's happening, but it's my favorite event that Chattanooga puts on period out of any single thing that they do. And it's called Lookout Wild Film Festival. And it's four days of films anywhere from 60 seconds to over an hour about people who feel so passionate about adventure, movement, challenge, and just overcoming whatever difficulties they have to be able to do what they love to do. So yesterday my husband and I went to a premiere and it was um there's a short film about a gentleman who uh was a um fire, I think it's called fog jumper, when he would be jumping into a fire who was a firefighter to I think it's like rescue missions. Long story short, he uh had a bad landing and it paralyzed his right leg knee down and the the movie was short but it was over almost 10 years spend time of how he has um overcome that injury to continue to fly so he couldn't jump anymore he was trying to stay as a firefighter he had to walk three miles with 60 pound weight in 45 minutes he missed that by a minute and 20 seconds. So he had to resign from being firefighter after three years. He, um, he, he, he couldn't run. He couldn't walk very well, but he said that, that he had to be able to fly because that was the ultimate freedom. And he basically just the line that he said, he said that for me, it is it's the need, it's worth all that struggle of the hardship of overcoming the fear the pain. He uh, eventually uh, made a really hard decision to amputate the leg, which was um, sort of came with a lot of risks. And it was just, you know, like the stories of the human spirit and of the people that just felt so, feel so strongly that I don't just want to live and sit here. This is what I I have to do, which is fascinating. So um, anyway, Jill, I think if you have ever in Chattanooga during this weekend in February, Christy should totally take you to that film festival. And if she doesn't, I will take you. But the movies are fena- they're just so inspiring, um, you know. And it's and it's all about adventure. So it's mountain biking, uh, running uh water guiding swimming diving um rock climbing so all the things that are just very um intense and risky and passionate and active
0: it just is my favorite thing
2: to to do and that's my random part too because
0: you're married to a seven and they're all about adventure and mountain biking and all the fun things and so and it's and and that's Go. yeah
2: yeah it's crazy they they had a really short I'm married to a mountain biker and they had a really short feel about mountain biking and I could just see his his leg like tapping like he has such hard time just watching it he wants to get over the bike <laughs> and I said you're such a freak <laughs> So anyhow, well, let me get us back on track, Gerald. So Christy has mentioned that you practice yoga, which obviously we're huge fans of, being in your grand plus yoga. Can you tell us a little bit about why you practice yoga? What do you enjoy about it? What is your practice like? How long have you had a practice of yoga? Just what do you like about it?
1: Yeah, thanks for the question. I I think Christy was being very, very generous. My yoga practice these days is, nearly non-existent but i i was doing it quite a bit at, at one time i i should connect my response here to what i was saying earlier about movement in that uh and it made me think about what you were sharing in terms of the, the wildwood film festival cat it's that you know even if we have all our faculties in terms of um being able to move our own bodies there's an expiration date on these things you, you know we're, we're finite uh i I don't do triathlons anymore. I tore the labrum in my right hip I also tore the labrum in my right shoulder. You know there was a point to where I didn't even know if I could swim anymore or or run at at all and i barely you know if i if i do uh maybe four miles or a ten k like I'm done you know I'm shot now um so we have to enjoy it while we can. Uh, and, and life is capricious injuries come sometimes tragedies like the one you've described where, where, uh, even limbs are removed and something like this. So, so it's very precious. And and I think that's why I try to make the most of what I got left, but we continue to decay as we get older. In terms of my yoga practice, I, uh, you know, kind of dabbled in it off and on probably, from the late 90s forwards so so that would have been when i was uh, an undergraduate student and and then while i was doing my phd this would have been uh early 2000s you know like 07 12 or 13 um there were these specials in a kind of bikram studio hot yoga uh studio where you could pay a kind of flat fee and um have as many classes as you want for like a month or something like this. And so I literally go every day, you know, these were like true, uh, kind of old school Bikram, 90 minute, like the same routine. They weren't doing what you see now where there's like strength moves mixed in and vinyasa flow. It wasn't any of that kind of hybrid stuff. It was just like the, um, traditional Hollywood hot, hot yoga routine. But I, you know, I would do that like all 30 days in a row. Um, sweat pouring off of my fingertips like a faucet. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't a spiritual thing for me. Although, you know, I want to respect those, uh, roots and that connection with, within yoga. I was really attending to it as recuperation and just trying to heal. Um, and and I found it very healing, although I know, um, People get injured from yoga, and uh, folks have different opinions on on how helpful it is. But but I found it to be, especially hot yoga, you know. To and again, maybe it's my attraction these kind of extreme versions of uh, different different movements. But uh, trying to stretch like that and, and control your breathing and um, quiet yourself for ninety minutes and um you know release toxins through perspiration if that's what's happening i found that very very helpful i, I certainly wish i had it now i'm uh, talking to you from topeka kansas where i think this morning it was 13 degrees and they're saying the wind chill is going to be negative 30 later on so i could do with some hot yoga <laughs> um, i'm
0: i'm smiling and kind of laughing right now because um I love that it it was Bikram yoga for you because many times Enneagram ones end up being drawn towards a routine and something like Bikram where you repeat the same thing or Ashtanga where you're doing the same movements. Often Enneagram ones are drawn to that. But like you also said, something that's a bit harder an Enneagram one would be drawn to that challenge because of them being in the body triad. Um, But I remember being in graduate school and seeing you do like headstands in the room. And so this has like been a part of you for a long time. So I do think that the credit I was giving you was real. You may not always be active with your yoga practice, but you have a strong yoga practice. And because of like how, embodied you are it seems like you can come back to it when you want to Um, and I know some of your injuries mean you have to be a little bit more careful probably with yoga and all types of movement but at the same time like I definitely see there is a yogi in you (laughs) so as your friend I just want to say maybe maybe give yourself more credit But we're going to pivot right now to talk about theology and spirituality and how the Enneagram does say that each of the nine types are, you know, different faces of God, different images of God, however you want to put it. Even each of the nine types, we're not going to get into this necessarily today, but each of the nine types Also have what the Enneagram calls a passion or a deadly sin, um, an Achilles heel, a shadow side that they need to work on um, in order to find that restoration of God. Um, But we're going to talk about more of the positive attributes of each of the nine types today and um, how each type reflects a piece of God. And I'm going to let Kat start us off with a type one because she usually does uh, the odds and I do the evens. Uh, She says because she's the oddball and um, I'm kind of even and steady, but that's not true. (laughs) I think the reverse is actually true, but um, thank you for saying that anyways, Kat.
2: All right. So let's kick it off with number one, uh, otherwise known as a reformer and reformer reflects God's justice. So Christy already mentioned the quote, and I always just am fascinated. Christy can quote people off top of her head. For me, I have to Google it for days, but Christy has said one of my favorite quotes, be the change you want to see in the world by Gandhi. And this could be the motto for one. So, type one cares about justice and righteousness. So, Gerald, the question to you, why do you think seeking justice is important, and why is it something that we need to engage in?
1: Well, I think it's important because we do not yet live in a world where justice is uniform for all people, Um, and even though we may live lives where we don't experience injustice um there are always others who i don't i think it's fair to say are suffering you you know um in kind of unimaginable and and even tragic ways and even if those folks were enneagram ones uh i I think we sometimes falsely presume that people can help themselves and that's not really the case. We we need to help each other uh, and we need to go out of our way. Those of us who have resources and privilege, we, we need to step out of our buffered and insulated lives to, to find those who, who need help. So, so sometimes, you know, We may not even be exposed to injustice that much, although I think it's really difficult now, for example, like the housing crisis, you'll see encampments even in Chattanooga, I'm sure they're probably unavoidable. Um, So what are we gonna do about it? You know, these these folks are not without homes, not absolutely because they've chosen that um, or absolutely because of results of their decision makings. Um, arts of chattanooga maybe a lot of it maybe most of it is unaffordable to to, to most folks you know or um, jobs are um, inaccessible or something like this so so that's why i think it's important is um we don't see it everywhere and everyone needs it
2: I agree with you. You know, I think justice is is an action word, just like love is an action word. And, you know, I'm going to say it as respectfully as I possibly can. But I hear, you know, nothing aggravates me more as when something is just so obviously wrong or tragic and people just offer hopes and prayers. That is great. What are you going to do about it? Because I think that, that, that a lot of times the hope and prayer, um, language is just like a, get, get, you're off the hook, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I have goodness in my heart, but I don't think that measures up at all to what can you do about so anyway, that's just my soapbox, you know. Hello, atheist, but no, but <laughs> I do agree with you. I, you know, justice is just one of my favorite words. So thank you for offering your opinion on that.
0: Well, and you know, one of the thing- things. Go to, go ahead, Gerald.
1: I was just going to say very quickly. I mean, I, I think what you said is apt. Cat, you, you know, the way we speak sometimes this just just sounds nice or like a platitude and. In Christianity, uh, it, even though we often interpret it as a religion for the nuclear family, like uh, focus on the family and this kind of stuff, um, what Jesus of Nazareth is really talking about is treating strangers and even your enemies like blood, you, you know, like they're your relatives. And and obviously families have all kinds of dysfunction, but we, when we think about our own, um, family like you you've mentioned your husband a few times and and your kids and i'm guessing your life is okay in chattanooga it's not terrible you know but what did it take to set that life up probably a ton of work you know and and maybe you faced some oppression maybe you didn't um I'm, i'm guessing you've never been homeless you know but it still took so much work so you can then imagine if you're trying to make everyone else your family, including strangers and your enemies, what kind of labor it's going to require. It's going to be a lot more than talk. And then when we do it, it's going to be hard as hell. Um, And that's what I think we underestimate sometimes is that not only do we need to do something, uh, but realizing that, Doing that, trying trying to do the just thing requires a tremendous amount of energy and a tremendous amount of resources and uh, requires us working together in in ways that um, necessitate a lot of exertion.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you. And, you know, it took a lot of hard work, but it also uh, we had a lot of help. And that is, you know, and if we didn't have the help, we wouldn't be where we would be, no matter how hard we would have worked. So that help piece, I think a lot of times missing. And then, oh, it was help from people who actually, you know, loved us and you know, deeply cared for us and knew us. Well, what about help for somebody that you don't particularly know or care about, or somebody who is super? Deaf? So, then what that looks like, anyway, we can talk about it forever. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, we have
1: to work together.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, and, and I will say, you know, ones are embodied types, they're in that body triad, and they are active and they are doers. And it can be hard sometimes for one to understand other types that aren't as motivated by being that change in the world and showing up in that way. So that's where the Enneagram can help us to have, you know, more understanding. I will say like when I have been sick or in a pickle, cat will call and say, can I drop something off to you? Like she wants to do something. She doesn't want to offer platitudes. I'm praying for you. Not that she doesn't say kind things. She is very kind. She's got that two wing and there's a lot of kindness in her, but she wants to do something. And it does make me more aware that sometimes um, I'm the type that wants to maybe listen and. Be there for somebody and be kind but i'm not as motivated motivated by doing as the type one and so that can help us maybe sometimes to have a little bit more empathy to know well we need to be a little bit more like the one sometimes than that way but also um, the reverse is true as well some people aren't as hardwired towards doing mm-hmm. Welcome to the Enneagram Plus Yoga Meditation Moment. Today for our meditation, I wanted to offer a moving meditation that is an invitation to embody all of the nine faces of God. So we know that each one of the Enneagram types represents a part of God, a piece of God. And we know that as we're moving towards wholeness on this journey, we're starting to embody all nine of these pieces of God, of who God is. And so to start, let's start in the heart triad with the type two, the giver, who embodies the compassion of God. And so let's just bring one palm to touch our heart space and the other hand can hold the hand touching the heart space and find a breath in and a breath out. And then just set an intention to be kind to yourself and kind to others. And then moving to the type three, the Achiever, who represents the ambition of God, bring your arms out to a T and stretch your fingertips as far as you can in opposite directions and find a breath in and a breath out. And as we stretch our fingertips in opposite directions, this symbolizes our intention to stretch ourselves to have goals, to have ambition, and to keep growing. And then let's move to the type four, bringing our palms to touch our thighs. And as your palms touch your thighs, look at your fingers and just know that the fingers often represent creativity because whether someone is playing the piano or writing a poem or painting They're using these fingers. Find a breath in. Find a breath out. And then set an intention to keep seeking to be more creative, to embody the creativity of God that the type four, the individualist, does so naturally and that the rest of us need to work on. And then bring prayer hands to your forehead, your thumbs just gently touching your forehead. And know that the five, the observer, represents the knowledge of God. And find a breath in and a breath out and set an intention to keep growing intellectually To keep being a lifelong learner who is open to wisdom, and then bring your arms to a T, and then give yourself a hug. Where hands just come to opposite shoulders, or whatever that hug looks like in your body, and know that the type six, the team player, represents the faithfulness of God, and as we give ourselves a hug. Maybe this can symbolize God giving us a hug and being faithful to us, but also all the people that we are loyal and faithful to who we metaphorically hug every day and just find a breath in and a breath out and just set an intention to keep being faithful and loyal to the people in your life. And then the 7, the 7, the adventurer represents the joy of God. So we're going to bring prayer hands to our lips, so your thumbs will just gently touch your lips, and then see if you can find a soft smile and notice that that smile cultivates joy in the body. Like it doesn't matter if you've had a hard day if you just allow yourself to smile sometimes we can come back to that joy so find a breath in and a breath out and remind yourself that joy is a part of God and set an intention no matter how hard life is to find moments of joy in each day And then for our type eight, which is often called the challenger or the leader, they symbolize the power of God. And so I always think goddess arms are a great way to feel more empowered. So it's just like filled gold arms. If you're thinking about football where your wrists somewhat line up with your elbows and your elbows with your shoulders and you're, you're bringing your elbows slightly back. And even that name, um, Goddess Arms, is a very empowering name. And so just find a breath in. And a breath out. And just set an intention to not play it small in life. To be empowered. And to to rise up in your life and to, to be the strongest version of yourself that you can be. And then moving to the type nine, the peacemaker. And bring prayer hands to your heart. Thumbs just gently touching your torso. Palms facing towards one another. And with these prayer hands. Maybe just take a moment to ask for peace inside of yourself, peace in this world. Maybe even ask for peace for someone in your life who needs more peace right now. Once again, asking for peace inside you, peace in this world. And maybe visualize somebody in your mind's eye who needs that peace right now and send them peace and love and then find a breath in and a breath out and just set an intention to keep practicing peace and then for the type one which is our reformer type They represent the justice of God, and so we're just going to bring our palms in front of us to face up, so inviting your palms to face up towards the ceiling, and this is a symbolic gesture of just wanting to be of service to the needs of the world, wanting to seek justice in this world that is in such deep need. And find a breath in and a breath out. And just set that intention to keep seeking justice. And then just bring prayer hands back to your heart and know that the light in me sees and honors the light in each of you. Namaste.